Hello everybody, this is Loki Away of Loki and welcome to No Hit Podcast. Here's my job to interview extraordinary gamers in the realms of challenge running. Whether that be no hit runs, completing games in the entirety without taking a single hit or point of damage, speed runs, completing games that would normally take hours in mere minutes, and other such ventures. Today's guest is Madrybred. That's Madrybred, M-A-H-D-R-Y-B-R-E-A-D on YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter. Madrai is a full-time content creator on YouTube, having created at least one video a day for the last 10 years. He's a world-famous Nancy Drew Let's Player, as well as well-known for his Pokemon Challenge runs, including Pokemon-specific, such as Magikarp-only run, completing the game whilst never going to a Pokemon Center, and many, many more, as well as going into varieties, such as the Elder Scrolls and Fallout series, with the example being completing Oblivion with two people sharing one controller. In this conversation, we go through Madrai's passion of wrestling, the process that goes into creating these Pokemon Challenge runs, the glitchy mess that is Generation 1 of Pokemon, and how social media has changed whilst Madrai has been a content creator. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Madrai, Brad. Right, Madrai, uh, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Appreciate the time. How's it going, dude? Uh, it's going all right. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't have anything more elaborate than that. <laughs> no, this is absolutely good. Before we, wanted, before we go into challenge running, I wanted to actually start with wrestling, as yes. I found <laughs> you to be a very big fan of. So I wanted to ask, what was your introduction and what is the appeal of wrestling to you or for you? Oh, man. Okay. It, it, see, it's funny you even bring this up because literally on my other monitor right now that I was just looking over at, I have a wrestling video that is paused. <laughs> New Legacy Incorporated, if anyone wants really funny YouTube videos of wrestling games. Although if you already follow wrestling games, you probably already know them. So what got me into pro wrestling was actually wrestling video games. It was me going over to a friend's house when I was like uh, 10 or 11, and he had SmackDown vs. Raw for the PlayStation 2. Really awesome wrestling game. People tend to regard that from like a really good generation of wrestling games. It was back during an era when wrestling games were more like fighting games in a weird way. It's It almost has an appeal like Smash, where it anyone could pick up and play and learn how to get through and probably button mash a little and figure it out, but you could learn how to get really good at it if you spent enough time with the game. Not to say that the uh, SmackDown vs. Raw game is as elaborate as Smash, but you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it was the kind of game where anybody who didn't know wrestling could pick up a controller and have a really fun time with their friends around the PlayStation. And so through playing a bunch of that game and really enjoying that, uh, me and my friend decided... Uh, let's actually check out SmackDown and Raw, which are the, the WWE wrestling shows that are the game is named after. And we watched them and became fans of them. So I actually never got into it like as a little kid thinking it was real like some people did. I got into it as like an 11 year old knowing it's fake and thinking it's awesome because it's theater. It's theater and it's live action video game and anime, basically. Because that is most people's first thought. Because I can't say I've, I've watched a ton of it, but I know the first, the majority of first reaction is, oh, why do people watch that? It's fake. And we're just interested, like, what is the appeal of it then? Because it is yeah. like theatre. It is a story-based thing as opposed to, like, UFC or something like that. Well, I always found the comparison so or the the question so strange when people say like you know it's fake right it's funny because as not a i guess not a lifelong wrestling fan but like it's my favorite form of art above video games even it's funny getting asked that question because it says so much more about the person saying it than the person receiving the question and i don't think they realize that when they ask it because when you ask a wrestling fan especially one who's an adult like you know it's fake right it's like okay well 
I watch the show and you don't, so I see the lightning bolts. Like, I, I know for a fact that you're not supposed to believe this is real. I saw a lightning bolt on this wrestling show. I watched a man teleport. Like, there's, I can, the, the litany of things I could bring up right now in which the show does not make you think that it's real. You can watch Monday Night Raw, the biggest wrestling show in the world, and they will advertise segments on their website where the wrestlers all sit to get uh, down together and have dinner and talk out of character about their storylines and feuds. They advertise that on the show. You're not supposed to believe it's real. And so, so when someone walks up to you and says, you know, it's fake, right? It's like, you know so little about wrestling that it's like I said, <laughs> it's like I started talking passionately about Breaking Bad and someone had to say it's fake. Actually, <laughs> bad comparison, because at least real life things can happen in that show. This is like if someone, if I said I like Game of Thrones and they asked if I know it's fake. Yes, I do know the dragons are fake. I know because I watched it and you didn't. <laughs> like, and so I don't, I don't think they realize how bad they come across to wrestling fans when they say things like that. But that's where the divide comes from, I guess, is just for some reason, it's like it's an art form where you're allowed to publicly shit on it without knowing anything about it. Like, that's just the standard. <laughs> I, I have to ask, because uh, uh, from someone unfamiliar uh, overall with it, how do, how does winning and losing work in wrestling? Like, how is that decided? Like in like real life or in storyline? First, could you break down the difference between the two? There you go. See, wrestling is a wonderful thing. It is an art form like nothing else. It is a, it is live action theater done all in one take in front of a live crowd surrounding the rings 360. It's wonderful. It's, it's very much like a, a stage. So you only have one take to do all of this and they are given the finish of the match by some kind of writer or booker, depending on the company and the storyline and whatever. They are told ahead of time uh, who wins the match and in what way, if that matters. How much the two wrestlers will plan out the match ahead of time entirely depends on their philosophy behind wrestling. Some people like to call a lot of it in the ring, where when they're doing headlocks and whatever, they're communicating. Or they communicate through motions on what they're going to do and flow with the crowd and the match and everything. Or some people like to meticulously plan it. As for who literally wins, that's entirely up to the storyline. So... In story, kayfabe is the term for that. It's an old carnival term. The world of kayfabe is, is basically the world of the fantasy that is the television show you're watching or the wrestling show. And so in kayfabe, one wrestler beats another wrestler probably because they're better or because they cheated to win or something along those lines. Whereas in real life, it really is just the writing. Uh, the wrestlers didn't have any say in it unless they have some sway in the company, which I guess can happen too. And then of course you literally win the match by pinning the opponent's shoulders to the mat for the count of three. But that's, <laughs> that's, that is quite obviously planned and uh, when, when they will kick out of pins and when, when they will not. An interesting one that I, that I recommend people watching that I've seen a few of is videos of the, re uh, the wrestlers like saving each other or the way, like how technical it actually all is considering it does, it is quite mm. like dramatic. You mean like catching people on a dive? Exactly. Yeah, those mm, nuances yes. where you only see it when it's like done in slow-mo, but it makes it so much more interesting when you see the small things that happen even during these big dramatic moves that they, they are to look out for each other, so to speak. Of course. It's, uh, it is a cooperative 
theater, as I guess most arts are, where you work with multiple people, it's cooperative. And so uh, they're supposed to make it look like it's a fight in some way or a struggle in some way. And you're not always supposed to believe it is literally real, obviously. We all know what a real full contact fight looks like, and it doesn't look like that. Uh, that looks like live action anime. And in fact, it's probably the closest thing we've ever had to live action anime. There's a funny trope nowadays that I see online sometimes from non-wrestling Twitter, where when they do hear about wrestling, they'll refer to it as redneck anime. Now, that sounds insulting, and I guess maybe to some degree they might consider it that way. It is the most positive thing I have ever heard your average person who doesn't like wrestling say about wrestling. And so it's progress. However, the redneck part, once again, kind of shows that they don't really know the history of wrestling, because you gotta understand that wrestling is not just native to America. It's native to Canada and Mexico and Britain and Germany and Japan. Uh, and in each country, it is very different. In fact, in Japan, they're looked at more like rock stars, where fans will take them out to dinner after the shows and want to go drinking with them and stuff. And that you don't just publicly make fun of wrestling so much. Um, in Mexico, they have a much different wrestling culture than in America or in Canada. And so it's it's weird to call it redneck because I feel like that comes from this idea of like, oh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Texas, like rednecks getting into their American wrestling. And that's a subcategory of professional wrestling and one that I love the history of. But that's only one small subcategory of many other things because much like any other art, there's many different flavors of it. You can go to the tri-state area of the United States and you can watch Chikara, done in the uh, in Philadelphia, I believe, which is a professional wrestling company in which they're all basically video game characters and cartoon characters come to life and it's all PG and there's a lot of goofy fun stuff. And then the same wrestlers will go work in the same city at CZW, Combat Zone Wrestling, where they will throw each other on broken glass tubes. <laughs> Some of them don't even like wear a different mask and will play the same character, whereas other ones will play different characters at both shows. And you've got your suspension of disbelief. We all have Google, we all know who these men are. Uh, but that doesn't matter because you're there in the moment and you're enjoying the show. You don't need to like both of those shows to like wrestling. You don't even need to like either of them. Before we go on what many people probably think is a, a massive tangent <laughs> to Pokemon. <laughs> this is the tangent. Um, before we move on, uh, if you had one resource or channel or documentary or anything, if someone wanted to learn more about that aspect of wrestling or like uh, more about it, mm. what would you recommend? Okay, well, if you don't know anything about wrestling and you want somewhere really nice to dip your toes in, then there's a channel called Super Eyepatch Wolf. He's an Irishman who typically does opinion pieces and reviews and stuff on horror manga and manga of different kinds and anime and all kinds of stuff like that. I think he did an awesome Simpsons video once. He's done a few on professional wrestling and I think he does a very good job of translating what pro wrestling is to anime fans and to just people in general. He's done wonderful videos on what villains are like in wrestling and the history of The Undertaker, who's one of the most beloved figures in wrestling, and just one on dipping your toes into pro wrestling and kind of what makes it special. 
you know? As for if you want to watch more of like a hardcore wrestling wrestling channel about wrestling, you know, there's something like uh, Cultaholic where they cover wrestling news and predictions and stuff like that. That might be more fun to watch when you're already watching wrestling and you want to keep up with things that go on outside of just the television shows. Because even if you're watching a wrestling TV show, you don't know all the things going on because in pro wrestling, pro wrestling fans follow the company, not just the company and the wrestlers, not just the television show. Because if you're not tuned on Twitter and Instagram and all the other things, you're missing bits of story uh, because every wrestler is played by their own, I guess you would say actor, but they would just call themselves a wrestler. And it's up to them to run their own character 24-7, and that includes Twitter. And so you can have a storyline done entirely over Twitter that then bleeds into the show, you know? You gotta be connected in on everything. Uh, and so watching a wrestling news show like Cultaholic really helps you keep up with stuff like that, whether it be real-life hirings and firings or storyline progression. Uh, and then, of course, if you just want to start watching a pro wrestling show, there's a bunch I could recommend. I honestly can't recommend WWE right now because they have been especially woeful lately. But if I could say that there is a very fun show you could watch week to week uh, easily, either AEW Dynamite, it's a new company that's been around for a couple years that has been very, very consistently good, or if you don't mind watching a little bit of a, a smaller show, Impact Wrestling is the top show in Canada. A lot of their shows are very easy to watch for free online, depending on your country. And uh, I just think that they're a really good company. I've been watching them for a long time. So as I say, tangents. <laughs> so what was your first introduction to challenge running, whether that was introducing you to starting Pokemon Challenges or prior? Oh man, introduction to challenge running... Okay, so it's hard to say because I've been on YouTube for a really, really long mm. time. I was around since like, I made the account in 2007. Uh, so when YouTube was less than two full years old, I believe. Um, so I've been watching gaming content since it was kind of in its inception on YouTube. Although it was very hard to record and upload gaming footage back in the day. So I've been introduced to the idea of challenging ways to play through video games for a very, very long time. It's always kind of existed, but in the current format of where it's, I don't know, a more clean put together thing like it is now. I don't even know what the introduction would have been. I would, I would say probably the closest thing that I noticeably really followed would have been speedrunning. Uh, I like following a lot of speedrunners. I'm a big fan of games done quick. I'm friends with a lot of speedrunners. I speedran Silent Hill 2 for a little bit just for fun. Uh, it's a really fun, glitchy run on PC. Mm. Easy one to learn. Yeah, I think that's probably what introduced me to challenge run stuff is just speedrunning and then seeing people do different versions of speedruns where it's like no hit speedrun or no no whatever whatever you know uh carcinogen for instance is is mostly known for his unbelievably hard uh no hit runs of a bunch of mostly survival horror games stuff like that how or what was so i believe the first pokemon challenge was pokemon <laughs> i i was so confident about how i was going to say this and uh, then i know it's it, this is from like watching the videos because yep. i was doing research it was all about like pokemon names <laughs> no matter how you say it they're gonna get angry at you it doesn't matter uh the pokemon ratata uh mm. ratata or ratata yeah that one no one will ever get mad at me for that one yeah yeah that was my first one i ever did so i've always had a tradition on my channel i guess i haven't said this yet so i 
if anyone here knows me, you're most likely to know me from Pokemon challenges, but I also get a lot of people who are like, damn, his voice is familiar. And then they realize like they listened to me 10 years ago or something. Uh, so currently on my channel, I have over 6,000 videos. I did uh, a video a day minimum for 10 years. It came out to an average of like 1.6 or 7 videos a day by the end of it. It was nuts. So I have a lot of videos over the years, and although most of that is Let's Play of all kinds of random classic games, every year I would like to, like twice a year, try some fun side projects of some new video format I've never done before. So for a while I would do all kinds of vlogs, like one a week and just try to challenge myself to come up with new things to talk about. Or I started doing game reviews where I do like opinion pieces on games. And I just picked like a few games I was really knowledgeable on and had a fun time with that. And that was a good time. And uh, I used to do creepypasta readings for a little while. Looking back on those, I did a terrible job on all of them and the audio quality is awful. And I was a hard ass on those stories and I regret a lot of it. However, uh, YouTube was a much more forgiving time back then when all audio quality sucked, so I guess it's not really that bad. But yeah, I just love trying new formats for side things to do every year or two. Top, sev top 7 tips to improve at was a series I made, for instance, where I was like, what if I started making short tips videos just to help people in games that I already have a lot of experience with? And that was a fun time. Just nice little three-minute chunk videos, you know? Actually, that'd probably do well nowadays, now that shorts are a thing, but damn, I don't have time. Someone steal that idea from me. Someone go do that. I don't mind. Just just make it like three great tips or something so you can fit it in under one minute. Uh, you, you can literally call it that. Steal my format. I don't care. So, so the Pokemon Challenges was an example of one of those new video format types? Yeah, it was just me wanting to try a fun thing. I think it was... I was watching a lot... I was marathoning Picaspri, uh, because I had found his channel recently at the time, so I was watching through like i think he had like um no this would have been before he did that video on that awesome demake of resident evil that game is cool sorry um i was watching some of his stuff and then he did like a pokemon challenge thing i was like damn that looks fun and i haven't played pokemon in a little while and you know i grew up with pokemon who didn't and so i thought i'm gonna do a little fun thing like that and so i saw his run and i think a suggested video was j rose's run and both of them did them like months before, I think. And I didn't really see anyone else doing them. I mean, in fairness, I didn't, I don't think I searched Pokemon challenge like word for word, but then again, that wasn't really the term for that yet. So I think all I did was pretty much just look through the suggested videos on both. And I was like, is this a big thing? Because it's the first I had heard of it and I didn't really see anything. So I just thought looks fun to do. So I'm going to do it. There's always that weird little thing you have as a YouTuber where you worry sometimes, like, are they just going to call me a ripoff if they saw that one other guy who did it? And I, I just decide, basically what I decide every time of, does it really matter if you get called that? Like, look, mine's going to be different no matter how I do it because I'm me and I do everything different. Like, if you see any of my old reviews and everything, it never looked like anybody else's review. You watch all my old streams, it never looked like anybody else's stream because I didn't use any templates from everybody else. I just kind of made it myself and did it in my own way, which is why they feel different. And so I did it, and of course some people called me a ripoff of it. But honestly, I just had such a fun time doing it that after I did the Ratata one, uh, I just started working straight on the second one, which was uh, Sunkern in, I believe I did it in Crystal. 
And that one was unbelievably difficult. That was way harder because, damn, like everything double resists grass in that game. Everything's poison flying. And uh, you're using the lowest base stats Pokemon until Gen 6, I think. Uh, so <laughs> it's it was uh, horrible. But honestly, again, I had a fun time doing it. I think what a lot of people don't know if they came in later was... By the time that I had done the first three challenges, like, first challenge was the Rattata one, it was super easy. I didn't know how hard it would be. I kind of thought it would be harder than it was, but it ended up being real easy. Then I did the Sunkern one, which was unbelievably hard, and the Magikarp one, which was unbelievably hard. At the time that I did both of those and, like, uploaded those really hard ones, I still only had a couple thousand views on the first challenge, and that was the most pretty much any of my videos would do when they were new. You see, I had, like, 61k subscribers by this point but it had been over eight years of grinding and grinding and grinding and a couple people finding me on this old let's play and a couple finding me on this old let's play and it's from random places here and there lots of subs who aren't really actively watching anymore i have like a 200 hardcores who would watch everything i do and then everything else it's just you know it'll accrue views slowly over time in the algorithm and that's just how my channel functioned uh that is the the ecosystem of my channel and i'm fine with that so when those got a couple thousand views, it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. But I, what I expected and uh, was they'll sit around for about three months. They'll build up a little bit of metadata and then maybe they'll blow up a little, get to like a hundred thousand views and peter off there. Because I had a tips video that I did once that had basically that life cycle. And I was like, okay, I can kind of predict this. It's going to be something like that. That's kind of cool. If even that, because I also figured, hey, it might just never get picked up. And that's fine because I had a fun time making them. And then I got to work on the Wobbuffet one. And then I woke up one day and um, because I, I would always tell people I read all the comments and I meant it because I turned on the email notification for every comment uh, for eight years. They, they didn't always email you for every single one because YouTube sucks and it was inconsistent, but I tried my damnedest. And uh, one day I woke up, uh, normally when I wake up and when I go to bed, the first thing I would do back then is clear up my email. I would look in it and read all the new comments, reply if, if I feel like replying to anything, stuff like that. I would also uh, set aside see whenever someone subscribes to me. So if they have videos too, I could check out what they do because it's a good way to find small channels. It's fun. Had to turn that off too because my inbox started getting flooded when I started getting over 10,000 subscribers in a month. <laughs> I really had to turn that one off. I didn't have much of a choice on that really. Um, so one day I just kind of woke up and instead of clearing out 50 emails in the morning, I was clearing out like a couple hundred and uh, things kept blowing up and blowing up. It was pretty crazy. How was that that initial morning then, like, just going to sleep? Was, there, was it a slow build-up, or was it that an overnight kind of hits the front page, I guess? La the night that I went to sleep, it was just doing okay. It was doing a little better than than my average video, you know? It, it was maybe over a thousand views or something. Uh, so definitely better than my average video, but not necessarily... You know, like on par with the previous Pokemon challenges that I had done at that point. And then suddenly just all three of them, like, I think each one was like one day apart or two days apart when they started getting bigger. Like the Rotata ones started getting big and then it got, a, the other ones started to get a little bit bigger due to like people watching through the playlist, I think, or like clicking on the end card. But then as people clicked on those, those started getting bigger in the algorithm and those started hitting homepage and suggested video and doing even better than the Rotata one because Magikarp and Sunkern is a little more impressive. And so I, I I think it was like a day or two into it all blowing up. I literally recorded 
some dumb little vlog where I just let people know, hey, I'm working on the Wobbuffet one right now. Like, as soon as you guys all started commenting and saying you can't wait for the next one, I just picked up the controller and started working on the next one. And I did. <laughs> and I never stopped. And it's been two and a half years. Certainly started with the super difficult, like, sunburn <laughs> into Magikarp, into Wobbuffet. That's, <laughs> it's funny because I, um, it, I... I'm very stubborn when it comes to how I treat my channel because the way I always look at it is very old YouTube. I don't like new YouTube with all this branding and all of this everything being sanitized in every little way. I really like the Wild West of the internet because that's what I grew up with. And so something I've always been very strong about on my channel is I will upload whatever I damn well please. If I feel like doing a cooking vlog tomorrow, then I'm going to do a cooking vlog tomorrow and the consequences be damned. Because when, when I say that Pokemon challenges are a side series for me, I mean it. Um, when I blew up on the Pokemon challenges... Even though I was already working more than 40 hours a week, this had been my full-time job for a very long time by this point, even though I was basically just making minimum wage and riding the poverty line the whole time, often under, as soon as I blew up, I never stopped doing the daily videos. I only stopped doing the daily videos when I hit the 10-year mark, and that wasn't even originally a goal. Like, I never set out to do just 10 years. It wasn't until, like, 9 years in that I decided, okay, 10 years I'm gonna call it a break for a little bit on that. I just kept doing all the Let's Play videos because the way I looked at it, even if I'm doing all these challenge videos weekly, which at that time, um, I had started doing them weekly. I started doing them weekly like six or seven challenges in, I think. And then ever since it had been weekly up until maybe, I think it was seven or eight months ago, I started doing three a month instead of four a month. So I could have a little bit more time to like handle my own life and everything because this eats up so much of your time. I kept doing all the daily videos even though I was uploading nine videos a week, sometimes more, and the way the algorithm looks at that is I upload a ch Pokemon challenge, it does like a few hundred thousand views, and the algorithm's like, oh damn that video was good, what's his next one gonna be? And then I upload eight videos in a row that it thinks were entire complete duds <laughs> because they didn't do nearly as well as the Pokemon challenge. So it pulls me out of the algorithm. But then Saturday rolls around and I upload that Pokemon challenge. It's like, oh, damn, he's doing well again. Maybe I'll push him a little. So basically, I just, you know, sabotage my own channel doing that. But I, that's kind of my thing is like I said the whole time, anytime anyone asked about like, should you be doing that? The whole time I always told everybody, no, it's damaging my channel. But frankly, I don't care because if I stop having fun with this, then it's not my dream job anymore. So I'm going to keep having fun with it, and the consequences can be damned. And so I just kept doing it. And that's why the Let's Plays are coming back, even though they don't pay the bills, because they're fun. I'm still a Let's Player at the end of the day. That's the thing that I'm the most passionate about. And I love my Pokemon Challenge side series, and if the day ever comes that I stop having fun with it, then I'll stop doing it. And again, consequences be damned. Uh, but I'm still having fun, so I'm just gonna try and, and keep doing it. wanted to ju uh, just touch on that because you remind me of an, a streamer that I uh, did one of these with um, called Dinos and Gale, uh, or Gail, sorry, uh, who is a Twitch streamer of who does uh, Dark Souls, no hit runs, and he, do he streams every day, and people tell him to take a break quite often, but every time he says, <laughs> this is something I really enjoy, really, like, I do this every day because I enjoy it, and want to do it because it's a dream job, and want to work hard for it, and previous th video that I've seen where you've stated similar things around YouTube, uh, where with the amount of content that you put out, but people have said that, but you've 
said, at least in that video, and you can um, change that or if I miss, miss say it, but where you've said something similar to, this is my dream job and I want to continue doing this. And if mm -hmm. I wanted to take a break, then I would I would choose to do so. Or, but I don't because yeah. it's fun. <laughs> well, also, infamously, people tell me to take a break all the time. And I always ask people, please don't ask me to take a break. Because, <laughs> because <laughs> I know that their hearts are always in the right place. And I would never get upset with someone over it. Obviously, they're just looking out for me. However, I always remind them, I can't just take a break when things get tough at my job for the same reason that you can't. I got bills to pay everybody's got bills to pay at the end of the day i was born in in a part of canada that is very very expensive and me and my whole family are here the housing crisis has been a crisis since i was a child and the rent has only gone up and up and up in the last few years i have to make sure that the lights stay on and the bills stay paid so that one day we can get somewhere better to live and i have people to take care of i'm almost 30 you know i got a whole family to take care of on this so I'm going to keep working. Now, mind you, if I stop having fun with something, then I'll have to transition into making sure that I can make that money on something else on the channel, but I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. I want to go more into content creation style, but I'll stick with uh, the Pokemon challenges for now. So just as an example for people listening of different challenges that uh, Madrid does, so that certain things like Pokemon only, as just mentioned, like uh, Magikarp only, Rattata only. Uh, but others such as no Pokemon Center, only in-game traded Pokemon, or move restrictions like no leveled up moves or HMs only. One thing I want to talk about, which I believe is your highest viewed video, is the no Pokemon Center video. Yeah, I, d I did a couple of those actually. I think the Emerald one did better. Um, those sucked. Uh, so, so I remember on the fire red one, I had this dumb idea that I would go in and like, I would catch a bunch of expendable Pokemon when I need them because really the biggest challenge of a no Pokemon center run is not the healing. It's the PowerPoints. You will run out of PowerPoints. And so I correctly identified going into it that I would need a Pokemon who's tanky and reliable to just use struggle with so that I can switch train or use experience share to um, make sure that like they're doing all the heavy lifting to level up everybody else who we can't afford to use the PowerPoints on. I correctly identified that. What I didn't correctly identify is that the strategy of catching things to use in the upcoming fights sucks because they're never going to be nearly as strong as the thing you're about to fight unless you grind them up. You can't grind them up reliably because that uses their PowerPoints and takes up a lot of time if you switch train them. And it's eating up all of your money with Pokeballs that you really need for potions. The planning for those challenges was reasonably terrible because they were still reasonably early runs for me. And so I wasn't very good at planning them yet. I still argue that I'm not a very good Pokemon player. Uh, usually what I say when, when people compliment my playing in Pokemon is I'm good. I'm not great. I couldn't, I could never play competitive with the skill level I'm at right now. I would definitely need to be coached at some level. I don't know the meta of it at all. I don't know how to build a competitive team, but I'm reasonably knowledgeable about the games just because I've spent so long playing the games, both growing up and as an adult. And it's just that, and I'm decent at researching on Bulbapedia and stuff. And I've got some friends who know Pokemon that I can ask questions and bounce ideas off of. And sometimes they can suggest something I didn't think of. So we're going into, uh, so you uh, said that the process now is different than how it used to be at the start. What is, for creating a Pokemon challenge video or run, what is like step A to E or step one to five of oh, creating that? Oh, it's easy. That? Um, 
so in the beginning it was uh sit down and play the game until four in the morning or whatever and just keep grinding away um because that's how i did everything eventually i broke it down into a much more sensible way of doing things where i would every single day i beat two gyms uh, it's beat two gyms or if there's no gyms left i finish up the run uh, so if you do that schedule, then you're beating a run every five days. Uh, and then every day I would also either record a voiceover for one, edit the voiceover, set up the cuts for where I'm going to put in the footage, insert the footage, or do the last touches, such as the first minute of the video, marker edits for any kind of graphics I need to put in, and soundtrack, which is the last thing I do before rendering. There's a couple other odd little tips that I don't write down anything specific for, really. Um, now, on that schedule, I can make a Pokemon challenge every five days because I'm, you know, I'm breaking up a game into five days and an editing process into five days. Back before I used to take days off, uh, that would get me a challenge every five days. And so I kept doing that until I got to uh, the point where I was like three weeks ahead on the challenges because I thought that was a good buffer zone in case something goes down and something takes extra long. It won't make things late necessarily. So once I started getting to that point, uh, I started making it so like on occasional days I could do a little bit less work or a little bit more if I knew that the next day was going to be bad. Uh, now that I do take some days off, uh, because again, I'm almost 30 and I uh, need to take care of myself. I now take Wednesdays and Sundays off. I recommend that to anybody who works from home, by the way. They're the best days to pick. CGP Grey has a great video on that called Weekend Wednesday. Go look it up, YouTube. And now what I do is Monday, beat two gyms, record a voiceover. Tuesday, beat two gyms, edit a voiceover. Wednesday's a day off. Thursday is beat two gyms and set up the cuts for the edit. Friday, beat two gyms and insert the footage of it. I also set up their premiere for the next day. Saturday, I beat the challenge. I finish all the editing and render it out, and I hang out in the premiere for 4 p.m. Sunday is off. That said, I still usually work on my days off for random streams and stuff. And that's obviously not all my work. That's my skeleton schedule that I will then fill in with extra stuff on whatever given week, depending on what I need to do. For instance, today I have podcast interview on Tuesday. I guess I can check that off. I keep organized. Uh, super interesting. Uh, oh, I actually made a whole playlist, by the way, showing how I make a, a Pokemon challenge from beginning to end called How I Make Pokemon Challenges, where I just show the whole process so that you can do it. Um, I It's like I've been saying from the beginning, anybody can do what I do. I There's nothing special I've ever done on my channel that couldn't just be done by you guys if you learn how to do it with some free YouTube tutorials. Uh, there's nothing special about all the shit I have done. What's special to me is just that I actually did it. Could you tell me about some of the fun aspects of Gen 1 glitches? Oh, uh, Gen 1 is wonderful in that it barely functions in the funniest ways. I love uh, a funny, glitchy game, and to me, Gen 1 is a funny, glitchy game. <laughs> More things don't work as intended than work as intended. I mean, half the rooms of the game, something is wrong. Okay, the electric gym. It's got a trash can puzzle. You think the way it works is that you click on a trash can, and if it has the first switch in it, then one of the adjacent trash cans will have the second switch in it. That's what the people in the gym tell you. 
but that's not actually how it works. There's an elaborate map of which ones can and cannot have the next thing next to it, like the switch next to it. I think there's some cans where if that has the first switch, the second switch can't be next to it. In fact, the way it's programmed, there's a 50% chance that the switch is always, the second switch will just be the top left bucket for no reason. Sometimes that's the first switch too, and it's just in that bucket twice. Um, in Dire Hit is, a, not Dire Hit, um, Focus Energy is an entire move where it's supposed to multiply your crit chance by four and it divides it. So it basically turns <laughs> off your chance to critically hit. Uh, you, every time, okay, if you play Pokemon and you have beaten Brock, congratulations, you are now on a glitch run because any time for the rest of the game that any Pokemon uses a status changing move on you, growl, leer, anything, anytime you use agility or anything that raises your stats, it is reapplying all of your badge boosts. And so, and so when you're late game, you have all the badges. When some dude uses leer on you, that's a buff. Like you're, you're losing a little defense. You're gaining some in every single other stat. When they're using leer on you and tail whip on you during the elite four, cause they do that in gen one, they're giving you more special and attack and speed like they're giving you buffs and that's just for playing the video game you can't not do that every gen 1 run i have ever done has glitches when i say at the beginning no glitches no exploits i mean like i'm not trying to exploit the game the game exploits <laughs> itself and i can't stop it <laughs> like just gen 1 is you know there's Oh god, is it Pokemon Tower? It's either Pokemon Tower or some Poke Center like building where you can walk into it, you can walk up to a blank spot on the wall, hit the A button, and there's an invisible PC you can deposit <laughs> Pokemon into. Because they just they use the layout of the Pokemon uh of the Poke Center, but I guess they they took out the asset for the PC, but they never actually like programmed it to not have a PC there. They just took out the art asset. So <laughs> So look, there's all kinds of wilds. Okay, the statues, the little Pokemon statues that you can see in like uh, the beginnings of gyms in Gen 1. You can use, um, I, I think you can surf on them. You can fish on them for sure though. Just just nothing, nothing, nothing works as intended. Like, it's unbelievable. Every room you can do something. That makes me interested. If you, if you fish, does it generate Pokemon? And if so, what does the like catch location say? If it has that in Gen 1? As far as I remember, just from, I never looked this up, I just tested it a bunch as a kid. I only ever got uh, Magikarp, but you know what, I haven't tried that since I was like 14, so I might just be misremembering or I might not have tried with all the rods. Um, I do believe if you, if you use a super rod, it didn't catch anything, uh, but that could just be mi me misremembering. Oh my god, okay, right above Nugget Bridge, there's a trainer where, uh, it's just to the left of Nugget Bridge, there's a trainer who's in a grass patch and he's looking up and you don't have to fight him. If you walk down into his vision, and while the screen is still scrolling, you hit the start button, then the pause menu will come up after you've walked, but before he has seen you. So if you unpause, he'll get the exclamation point and run at you. If you use teleport or fly, or something that, like, teleports you away, the game doesn't know what to do because it thinks you're locked in an encounter, so you can't use the pause menu anymore. But when you walk to a new area, the pause menu will come up, and then when you unpause, you'll get a wild encounter? 
just in the middle of nowhere. And what you encounter is based off like trainer ID of the trainer that you did that with. You can only do it if you have to scroll up or down, like scroll the screen up or down to get into their vision. So only certain trainers qualify, if I remember right. Um, but if you do it against that one, you get a Mew. <laughs> Just like at Celadon, you've beaten one gym and you can catch like a level nine Mew or something really easy. Super easy in red and blue and yellow, I think. Like, just, it's it's incredibly easy to catch a Mew in Gen 1. You need one little trick that you can just save right before and it's super easy to perform. You can do it on original hardware, you can do it on an emulator. Anyone can do that trick. Oh, uh, it's same town. I swear to God, there's like a hundred glitches in that town. Walk into the bike shop, talk to the bike shop owner when you don't oh, have a bike it. voucher. And instead of hitting B to close the text box, go down to cancel and hit A. Now, until you turn the game off and on, the draw speed of text in the text boxes is instant now, making the whole game run faster. I think I've seen that one uh, with uh, some Pokemon speedrunners where they go to the bike shop immediately and it'll just have that instant text. <laughs> Yeah, I remember there was a bit of a brouhaha when that was discovered where people weren't quite sure if that should be legal or not because it's kind of a glitch, but it's also like so minor it doesn't affect gameplay, but it does save you time. So I understand where the uh, where the debate came in on that one. I don't know where they landed on that. Speaking of me, I remember some random thing, like nostalgia thing, where I think it was like Fire Red, where people said you could get a Mew under the truck in Vermilion. I don't mm -hmm. know where that rumor came from, but I'm pretty sure everyone's heard of it, and I don't know where. Oh, absolutely. So that rumor was around since I was a kid on the playground. God, I sound so old when I say that. Um, when when I was... Uh, God, how old was I when Pokemon came out in Canada? Uh, it would have come out like right after my birthday, and I did get it as a birthday present, so I legit have had Pokemon been playing pokemon since before like many of my viewers were born man i used to hear a thousand versions of that mew under the truck uh rumor so every playground had their own version of it i think this was back before the internet was super popular too so there wasn't so much myth busting back then on these things i don't think most people believed most of these rumors but i think everybody kind of wanted to check it out because the truck is there and if you trade a surf pokemon you can go there you just can't move the truck. The rumor on my playground back in Dunville, which small rural town, especially back then, uh, I was an early adopter of the internet, but most people didn't have it. In my town, uh, the playground rumor was that if you had a one level 100 Mewtwo with strength, then you could use strength on the truck and you'd throw it aside and underneath you would get a level 5 Mew and a level 100 Golden Voltorb. Uh, both were lies. <laughs> Everyone had some variation of that rumor, though, um, right? It was usually Mew, because that's the big one that everybody wanted to know how to catch. I, def I remember it as Mew. I, I don't think anyone let me know how to get it. <laughs> Obviously, just people keeping secrets from themselves is definitely under there. <laughs> Keep the conspiracy going. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. I like to think that there actually is a way to throw it aside, and that is what's under it, but that even data miners haven't figured it out. One challenge I wanted to ask just because it sort of scares me on the scale of it, which is going to surprise people when they hear it, is a metronome-only challenge. <laughs> <laughs> so that's legit the worst challenge I ever did. <laughs> like, hands down, I'll never do it again. Like, it's the, it's the one where I've said, like, no Poke Center challenge, I might do it again someday if I can plan it out enough and I think it's possible enough. I don't know. It's daunting because it's it's borderline a Nuzlocke, a no Pokemon challenge, and I do not like Nuzlocke's. But 
damn the the no no metron or the only metronome ones so the way i did it is um just okay so in case anyone doesn't know how you make the roms the the file for the pokemon challenge typically what you do is you put it in a program called the pokemon randomizer it's got all kinds of options for customizing your game of pokemon and if it's a solo pokemon run you modify the game so that you start with the pokemon you're doing it with so that you have the pokemon the entire run rather than just where you'd naturally catch it that way like if the pokemon's not till the seventh gym or something you don't have a super short run that's crazy boring there's an option in the randomizer to make it so every single Pokemon in the world only uses metronome. It's just a goofy, fun mode. Some people do challenge runs of that, where everything that is completely used is random. I wanted to make it way harder than that. I wanted them to all still have their balanced movesets that were intended, and for me to only use metronome. So what I did was I started with Clefairy, and I grinded a Clefairy until it got metronome, and then I caught a bunch of Clefairies, and just for the entire rest of the run, I was only allowed to use the move Metronome on all of them. <sighs> now, Clefairy is not a great Pokemon in the first place, but uh, it was Fire Red, so there's a decent pool of moves to pick from, and it picks from most of them. And let me tell you, it is way, way worse when only you can use Metronome, but every other Pokemon you fight has a regular move set. Because even though you can't choose what you move, what you use in any way, shape, or form, they still get to pick between hurting you and doing other things. Even if their moves aren't good, they have a choice. Sometimes I'm gonna just Metronome up Growl and stuff when I just need to do one damage. But they can deal one damage no problem, because they have a move they can pick for that. Whereas if they were using metronome, who knows what happens. What ended up happening was I would have dozens and dozens of attempts on trivial battles. It got to the point where I would have... I would be fainting to completely random trainers just through absurdly stupid luck. And it was happening so often that I realized I can't even put all this in the video. Like, at some point it's like, oh, that's cool. I had a really tense battle. That'll be fun. It'll make the video a little longer. I know they always say in the comments they like the longer videos. They'll like this. It gets to a certain point where you're like, how many times can I say that I needed to use one move, but unfortunately I used a different move. And as a result, Everything got fucked in the last round of a fight. How many times can I explain that, you know? And so <laughs> it was literally the only run that I ever considered just abandoning halfway through. And I literally said that in the video. <laughs> uh, but nope, I stuck with it. Still haven't given up on one. I Yeah, there was a couple of... I think you mentioned in the video that she had a couple of Clefairies uh, decide to use Memento, which is very helpful. <laughs> super, super helpful when they all start using stuff like that. Or like, I'll be fighting a Graveler or something and I self-destruct. <laughs> like, just, uh Is, was there any, so going into individual Pokemon basis, was there any that ended up being much easier or much harder than you initially thought going into the run? Oh, for sure. That happens all the time. There's a lot of runs where it looks harder on paper than it actually ends up being, just because I end up being a, a good type for a lot of fights, just specifically in that gen. Or, you know, like in gen... Three, for instance, you basically don't need a fire move the entire run. So it doesn't matter if you have fire moves. 
at all in that one. But you need an electric move. Electric helps you tons. Electric helps you tons in like any run. It's one of the best types. If you can get Thunderbolt and Ice Beam, you're set for not exactly set for all the runs because like look sometimes you got a base speed of 10 or a base special attack at 15 and good luck uh but all the time i'll have runs where i i how hard i think it will be doesn't at all match how hard it ends up being it's hard to like point out specific ones though just because it's it, it happens so often it's not that notable how do you decide generations or which challenge to do with which generation sometimes the generation is decided just because people ask for it a lot in a specific gen and so that's just the one i write down in my notes um sometimes it's for a specific reason like uh today right before i hopped in this call actually i was recording a voiceover for uh pokemon emerald with only normal moves and the reason i picked that one is one it just sounded kind of fun two uh, there's some cool normal Pokemon in Gen 3, but the, the kind of the, the clincher on it being Emerald was I remember that, oh, your dad's your dad in that game is a normal trainer. That's kind of fun. I could we can be the superior normal trainer, you know? Um, and so that's like some of the thought process that went into that one. Uh, sometimes the thought process going into it is just what gen haven't I done in a little while? Have I done this Pokemon in it? There we go. Or is this the gen that you would most associate with that Pokemon? Sometimes that's the thought process going in. Or to the contrary, sometimes it's something like, what Pokemon would you not at all think for this game? Like Shuckle for Fire Red. I don't at all associate Shuckle with Fire Red because Fire Red, I think, a Gen 1. And so that's kind of cool, seeing him fight all of the Pokemon from a different generation. Another one that's... So the videos always follow a similar format, and... I was sort of like confused watching this one because it follows the exact same format whilst being in a completely different situation, which was the Dragon Ball Yamcha video. Uh, yes, I'm very proud of that it was one. It's like watching the start of it saying, yeah, now Yamcha has really bad stats, and I'm just like, hang on, wait a sec. <laughs> yeah, I remember the premiere for that one when it came out. Uh, a ton, tons of people. Okay, so the premiere, I always set up to. Uh, be scheduled for 24 hours before it actually uh, goes live so that every time zone has a chance to hit the notification bell thing for it. So in case they want to show up live. So people can comment 24 hours before the video is up. And even though Yamcha is literally in the thumbnail, like Yamcha, a character from Dragon Ball, um, a lot of people didn't recognize him, I guess. So tons of people just commented saying, I think he meant Yanma. <laughs> and they really, really thought Yanma. I could and then like we went to the premiere and just as it went on, people were so confused. But some people found it hilarious, and that's who it's for. Now, mind you, I, I did like a couple challenges in that ROM hack. It's called DBZ Team Training. It's a very fun ROM hack. Uh completely free, obviously. You just download it. It's like a fire red ROM hack. It's Ridiculous and not very well balanced, but it is an incredibly fun time, and I had a fun time doing the challenges on it. But that's kind of one of those examples of what I'm talking about when I mean, like, consequences be damned, it would be fun. I knew that it wouldn't do nearly as well in views, and it didn't, but I did it because it was fun. And C gets brought <laughs> up in podcasts years later by people saying, yeah, it was fun, and you're damn <laughs> right it was. Is there any other modded stuff that you've enjoyed or tried out in in pokemon or do you prefer like just standard vanilla 
Uh, honestly, just standard vanilla Pokemon. I've um, I've never been a massive ROM hack guy in the first place, or a massive mod guy in the first place, even though I'm primarily a PC gamer. And so obviously I played a tons of mods, and I love tons of mods. Uh, but I tend to prefer... Hmm. I don't know if I want to necessarily call it the more polished the more polished version of a game being kind of the vanilla game, because that's not always true. And I also love a lot of video games made by one dude. And let me tell you, they are polished 0% of the time, and yet I love them to death. I think it's more of, I like when a game has a very cohesive design. And the problem with a lot of ROM hacks and mods is that because it was quite literally made by different people, uh, the things they add in sometimes clash so much with the old things that I don't find it as enjoyable. Especially if the art style clashes massively. Like, I always, when I watch, like, uh, people stream, like, a Pokemon ROM hack or something, and they're playing one where, like, it's all the art is modified so that, like, your player character and, like, some random sprites are, like, anime characters, but then everyone else is just actual sprites from, like, Pokemon Fire Red, and it just looks so wrong. That kind of stuff drives me nuts. Going into variety, so you've moved outside of just Pokemon Charges to uh, other games, including Oblivion, Skyrim, Fallout. What's, mm. Was this another kind of video format, as you were talking earlier, about something that you thought you'd enjoy and wanted to try outside? Because I believe the first one was Oblivion, Illusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was just, um, I've been thinking for a while, like, hey, I'm having fun with this challenge stuff. Um, but I kind of want to do more than just Pokemon with it and see if I enjoy that too and how different it would be because I'd feel, I felt like at that point, um, the Pokemon challenges fell into a really, uh, staple formula. And although that template is nice to work with, and it does mean that I could keep up with doing it really, really quickly, like lots of them, uh, because of that kind of template and that format, it was also kind of predictable. Not literally the fights, because, you know, the fights end up being unpredictable all the time. It's Pokemon, there's a lot of dice rolls involved. Um, you always know generally what to expect from one of my Pokemon challenges video, like, just from an entertainment standpoint. So I wanted to try something new, and I picked Oblivion to do, uh, because I thought there's a lot of variety of things you could do in Elder Scrolls games, because they're these big open fun sandboxes, and damn, I played a lot of Oblivion in high school. I love that game. That game is just so much fun, and I hadn't played it in a while, and I was kind of in the mood to play it again. And if you go back and you watch that first um, Oblivion Illusions Magic run, you can tell I'm having a really fun time with that one. I was just doing gags the whole time and stuff. Like, I was having a blast playing it and writing the script and stuff. I want to do more of those someday. Um, the problem was just that uh, I was so busy. I started doing that as, like, my fourth challenge every month. Um, but then one, there was one month I came along where I was just way too busy and what I was going to do instead of a, uh, Elder Scrolls challenge, because they get less views anyway, I thought the Pokemon people wouldn't be that upset if I just skipped out on that week. And I instead was going to do a vlog just talking about Pokemon updates and channel updates in general and just hanging out with people. And then I got so goddamn busy for so long from what we affectionately call in this household, the summer from hell that I didn't get around to making that vlog until I think a week and a half or two weeks ago. So like three months late or something. 
Um, damn, I just got really, really busy, but I, I do want to do more of those someday because they are genuinely very but fun. It did get done. It may have been three months. Exactly. I got it done. I, I, I got the vlog done. I got the challenges done. I did all that stuff. I won the challenges. That last uh, non-Pokemon challenge I did, it was sneaking my it was crouch sneaking my entire way through Fallout New Vegas, and I decided not to just shortcut across the easy way. I decided to like walk the whole perimeter of the map. Oh, damn, that was a bad choice. I forgot because <laughs> I made two crucially bad choices in that run. One, deciding to walk the perimeter of the whole map, which you know what, in fairness, probably made the video funner. The worst choice was I decided to go with the Caesar's Legion path because I hadn't done it since I was a teenager. I forgot it's like three times longer than the other paths. Oh man, it sucked so bad. And the final boss battle, if you are in the Legion, is brutally hard in comparison. I think I walked into the fight with two broken legs. I'm sorry, oh, I yeah, crawled into the fight with two broken legs. But my stealth skill was so high that I was in a small closed space crouching on the floor with two broken legs as like platoons of dudes all ran around me and they would constantly like walk around a corner and like a baby who doesn't have object permanence yet they would forget where i am like instantly and i would just start getting free sneak attacks you haven't looked at me in four seconds how do you forget i was there yeah there was another one that i saw which seemed like a lot of fun and and potential difficulties was the oblivion two players one controller uh, oh man that was fun <laughs> uh so just right it sounds exactly what it is uh Madrai, um um collaborated with uh someone else and they both completed oblivion only with sharing controllers i'll, I'll let you explain how that actually technically works <laughs> so that's me and my friend truth spelt like tooth but truth he, if you know him, it's probably from random old videos he used to do talking about his fun stories from Dwarf Fortress, or from making a tutorial series on the game Ilona Plus, which is a wonderful freeware video game that everyone should go get, because it's real fun and weird. Anyway, truth's wonderful. He also does uh, reviews over on his YouTube channel of old episodes of The Twilight Zone, almost called it X-Files. Anyway, truth, um, we decided... <laughs> to do a run uh two players one controller so the way we did that because he lives in america and i live in canada is we used parsec which is a screen sharing program that also has controls sharing and we he remote hosted into my computer and the way it worked was i controlled the mouse and he controlled the keyboard if i remember right was it me on mouse or was it him on no i think it was me on mouse because that was more important to have less delay yeah, because I always had to tell him when to go into the inventory for a potion. So that was definitely on keyboard. Yeah. So the way we did it uh, was we took default like control mapping in terms of like the mouse is just block, attack and looking around. And then all the rest is keyboard, which is him. I gave him control of my keyboard and pushed it aside and I was only allowed to use my mouse. Uh, so spells, uh, walking uh strafing opening menus anything like that that was up to him we had to teamwork at all now this is a real-time game it's an action rpg so naturally that gets difficult especially considering you only saw like half of the times the truth is like i'm just gonna do this thing for fun you guys only saw like half of those <laughs> can't put them all in the video that was a 
bit of a brutal run, but a very fun run at the same time, just because it was a fun time hanging out with my friend. I actually did basically the same run, but in Skyrim, uh, I think like a few months after that, over on my friend Brandon's channel. Uh, his channel's called Gooset. For anyone who doesn't know, by the way, some people might know Gooset like just as a challenge dude because he did some challenges and they, they did pretty well, especially in a lot of Elder Scrolls thing. It's always really funny to us when people will comment on that and be like, oh my god, you two know each other when I comment on his videos? Dude, we've been best friends since high school. Like in 11 years ago when I didn't even start daily videos yet and I was starting Let's Plays when I was like a child and I was a teenager. He was guesting in those. He's been on my channel for since the beginning. I have literally uploaded thousands of videos with Brandon in them. <laughs> like thousands. Like I have over 6,000 videos on my channel right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just like, there can be like two separate audiences, but unless there's that one video that's like so in the face of, oh yeah, that's, yeah, that's them. It's, it sort of comes as a surprise. Yeah. It's kind of funny how that happens of like, I had 61k subscribers before I blew up on the Pokemon challenge and it just eclipsed it so much, you know? It's crazy how it happens like that though. It's just random things sometimes. But I, I still think like, People sometimes ask me um, if it almost feels like it was a waste that uh, I just blew up on this random thing and like, was the rest of the stuff I did like a waste because of that? And it's like, no, because one, it was fun. So definitely not a waste of time. And two, I wouldn't have blown up if I hadn't spent all those like eight, nine years, whatever, working on videos. I guess daily videos for eight years at that point, working on videos in general since I was a 14 year old because I learned in high school due to a class. So I've been making videos for 15 years now, uh, in some form or another. Um, if I didn't have all that practice, I wouldn't have been able to make the Pokemon challenges what they are. So definitely not a waste. Yeah, I guess that question's, I, I imagine, asked from the perspective of, like, the way YouTube works with higher numbers equals equals better and everything, as opposed to, as you've described earlier, you yeah. do pretty much anything as long as you enjoy doing producing the video or making or uh it's i i think a lot of people look from the outside in and they look at it as a thing of like damn this guy has this one series that is most of what he does and it gets almost no views in comparison to the other one and they'll they'll say like uh dead channel or it's funny how many times i had people say dead channel to me before it blew up by the way it's really funny but uh there's a lot of people who would just remark on like, damn, it's a shame that so many people don't watch your Let's Plays. Uh, it's my favorite part of the channel or whatever. And like, I legit get messages every week now from people saying like, damn, I've been watching you for years. I wish I got into your Let's Plays earlier because they're my favorite part of your channel now. And you got to look at it from, from my perspective of how can I be mad when my Let's Play is getting 2,000, 3,000 views or whatever, when before I blew up, that would have gotten 100 or 200 views. Are you kidding me? That skyrocketed. And it's not about the money for me on the Let's Play stuff, especially because I don't expect to make any kind of a profit on that. And so... To me, it's like, what are you talking about? The the Why would I be upset about the Let's Plays not being as popular as the Pokemon challenges? The Let's Plays are the most popular they have ever been in the history of my channel. That's fucking sweet. <laughs> like, what's there to be what's there to be bitter about just because I did something else that's more popular? Dude, that's a good thing. That's a good thing that I did something that did well. <laughs> Why would I be upset about that? You can choose to watch anything on my channel or nothing at all. You can stop watching for no reason. 
nobody's obligated to watch. The only reason the show's any good is because you're not forced to watch it. You have the choice to stop watching if you stop enjoying it. A bit of an avenue to go down. What's something about being a full-time YouTuber or full-time content creator that people may not be aware of from the outside? Hmm... It's only your dream job if you make it your dream job. This is actually something I was talking about on Twitter um, a couple days ago because I sent out a tweet just saying like, hey, everybody, um, I've been doing YouTube and Twitch for a long time. Like, I've been streaming since before Twitch was a website even. And uh, if anybody has any like just general content creation questions and they don't know who to ask, just like tweet at me and ask me. And a lot of people were asking about, uh, it was usually either like, how do I get attention on YouTube early or on streaming early? Or how do you deal with burnout? Because uh, those are typical YouTuber things. Or like, how do you get your first viewers or whatever? And um, I find that a lot of people, a lot of people were asking about burning up, burnout. A lot of people were asking about viewership. A lot of people were asking about those kinds of things before they had even started a channel or before they had started putting up content or before they had done very much in general. And the big thing that I always need to tell people is you need to have this be your dream hobby before you make it your dream job. Because if you're talking about money and you haven't even started yet, you don't know if you enjoy this. If you can't fall in love with the grind you're never gonna get there and if you do get there by fluke then you're gonna be miserable because you're stuck with it as a job if you end up doing something on youtube that's a pain in the ass and it ends up getting real popular but you didn't stick with it in the beginning before it got popular and you didn't learn if you like it or not before you just promoted the hell out of it and managed to get it big in the algorithm or whatever, then you're stuck doing exactly what you were trying to avoid by getting a YouTube gig. You have made what could have been a dream job into a miserable job. So, and, and mind you, the only reason to do YouTube as a job is if it's your dream job. Because it ain't the popularity. I can tell you how many creeps I've had to turn down of a billion different things. Stalkers and weirdos, and people who think it's completely appropriate to treat you in inappropriate ways just because you're known on the internet for some dumb videos. The fame isn't what it's cracked up to be. The money is not what it's cracked up to be. It's not easy to make money this way. You have to make compromises. It's very difficult. Um, you need to be, you need to be your own boss. You need to be able to discipline yourself when working from home, which a lot of people have real troubles with. Like, if you looked at my life schedule of how I discipline myself at home to get this job done, you might not want to live that way. You might not want to be taking, be setting up timers on your computer with 15, with 25 minute timers so that every time it goes off, you stand up and you do a routine of stretches for three minutes. Once every uh, three or four breaks, you'll take a 15 minute break to go walk around because you need your 10,000 steps a day and you need all your stretching in or else you're going to ruin your back because you're sitting all day and you don't want to ruin your back doing this because then I can tell you it's very much not your dream job anymore when you're feeling agony every time you sit in your work chair. You gotta take care of your own fitness. You need to take care of your own finances because there ain't any boss giving you a salary or a wage. The money you make is entirely up to your sponsorships and up to the whim of the algorithm and how much money you're making on AdSense that month. Genuinely, with all of the work that you have to do for this job and all the discipline that you need to put on yourself and all the pressure you need to put on yourself and the confidence that you need in yourself to remember that what you're doing has some value and that it's not worth giving up if it truly is your dream job, 
if you don't have that passion to back it up, why would you ever want to get saddled with this job? You gotta make it your dream hobby before you make it your dream job. I hope that speech was useful to somebody. I'm sure it will be. And there's a good video by a Twitch streamer as well, which uh, runs similar by a Twitch streamer called Faraz Khan. And it's a video of something like, something to do, it has streaming in his YouTube title, but it's basically whilst he was streaming on Twitch, a, a someone commented in, in chat, just it must be fun to just uh, sit and play games all day. And he, he went through a good 40 minute discussion <laughs> Uh, with another content creator about how, yeah. how uh, that was rubbish, so to speak. <laughs> he, he used uh, better, better words, let's say. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, now, I, I do understand sometimes when some people say, like, be grateful, it is a dream job. Uh, not everybody gets those opportunities and whatever. And don't get me wrong, I do think that there are aspects of this that are definitely dream job material for anybody. Look at uh, look at the history of uh, the rural American South, for instance. For a long time, NASCAR was a glimmer of hope in a lot of people, where no matter what small town you grew up in, you can either work in your steel mill all your life, or, if you're a damn good driver... Maybe you could go win some prize money at the NASCAR races with your own car and get yourself out of your town and make it big. It's the dream for a lot of people. I relate that to something like YouTube. This is keeping the dream alive for a lot of people who are in a very bad way. I spent a lot of my life below the poverty line. I spent basically my entirety of YouTube under the poverty line. I have had plenty of financial hardship and everything, and it's not like I wasn't trying to find a day job. I was. I live in a place with a very bad, um, a very bad job market. I was going to say especially back then, but especially, especially now. And also, I have some disabilities, so there was a lot of entry-level jobs that I simply didn't qualify for. Uh, and me not having the money for a post-secondary education here, um, it was just work YouTube and keep trying to find a job on the side, a job of which I never found, so I just put full-time work into YouTube. You do have your success stories of somebody who genuinely was in a very bad way financially by no fault of their own, and managed to claw their way out just from hard work, which is what I did. And a lot of people have done that. This brings the dream globally. All you have to do is have the self-discipline to do it, the interest in doing it, and the passion. And you can figure it out eventually, as long as you put in the work and the passion and everything like that. And the idea that that is now a global thing, that is beautiful, and that is a dream job, and that's awesome. However, people who automatically think it's a dream job just because somebody is at the point where they're making a living from it, no, unfortunately, it's not that easy. There's a reason why um, so many YouTubers and streamers do end up with crippling depression. Uh, you need a certain level of mental fortitude and healthy thinking when it comes to dealing with these things, because there is a lot that can bog you down if you let it, and it is very easy to let it. It's hard not to let some of these things get under your skin. Uh, and I've had plenty get under my skin over the years, but the sooner you start treating it differently and looking at it more positively, and not caring so much about the opinions of people that you wouldn't take advice from, that's a good piece of advice for you. Don't take advice, don't listen, don't take the opinion seriously of someone that you wouldn't take advice from. And you'll be a little bit more saner for it at the end of your content creating journey. 
I hope that I hope that these answers answers are uh, interesting to to you and everybody else. I hope this is I think useful. It definitely will be. It's an interesting part of 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 having these conversations is sometimes it can be like direct advice, like uh, uh, that piece just said there. That will that will definitely resonate with someone, but it can also be the understanding of someone's story or of how they've done something. So it might have been someone's taken your work ethic from from you talking through that story and they'll take it, put it forth into their own into their own content creation journey or other aspect. It can be it doesn't have to be a direct this is the advice. It can be taken from someone else's experience as well, which mm-hmm. is what I find very interesting about talking to different people, especially in this area. Of course. And even then, like nothing I'm saying, nothing I'm saying is like the law, obviously. Everybody has a different philosophy when it comes to content creation and uh, how they conduct themselves online and whatever. My big thing is just, I always want to authentically be me. I don't know how else to be, to be quite honest. This is just how I am. I am a, uh, a uh, very vocal person. <laughs> I don't I don't really hide what I'm thinking at all. And so I just kind of be me on camera. You know, like the tagline of my channel, if you look on the about page, is just like uh, the mission statement, not tagline. The mission statement of the channel is that I, I want it to feel like you're, when you're watching my Let's Play stuff, you're hanging out with a group of friends and all your friends are idiots. And I think if you watch like tons of Let's Plays on my channel, but especially if you watch stuff like the Mario Party stuff I do with Brandon and What a Geek and Joe, you can tell that this genuinely is just like four dudes who have been friends for about a decade laughing and having fun and playing Mario Party and not taking it too seriously. With being around for for a great many years, as I say, two years post YouTube's inception, for both YouTuber and live streaming, what changes or i mean there's been like perhaps too many to mention but notable changes you've seen to the modern day in both areas man it's like you were saying there's so many so many changes it's hard to say just because a lot of them are little things and little incremental changes that start to add up i don't know if i want to point out like anything obvious and specific and boring like oh they uh they made it so dislikes aren't publicly (laughs) viewable like uh like yesterday i think like i think it just came into effect and Honestly, I think that's stupid because I use the like to dislike ratio often to know if a video is, um, if an informational video is wildly inaccurate, it's likely to have a yep. lot of dislikes. <laughs> I understand why why YouTube says like, hey, we're doing this to get rid of dislike mobs. Um, it's not going to do that. Um, and that those have existed forever and YouTube didn't get rid of it before. And so that's what tells me uh, that's not why they got rid of it. That's just why they're saying they get rid of it because anytime they change anything, Ever, they say it's because they listen to the audience and you'll notice it never matches up with what the audience wants the reason they did it is the same reason they do basically everything else it's it's very embarrassing for companies that pay for ads ad space on youtube like the tonight show like your your mainstream media pundits or whatever when they pay to have the tonight show or the today show or the jimmy fallon whatever on the front page and the dislikes are really bad or when toyota pays to have their video up there and the dislikes are really really bad they can't censor that they can turn off likes to dislikes but that makes them look bad and they know that they can disable comments and they often do but you can still see the like to dislike ratio either you have likes to dislikes disabled and everybody knows they're getting dislike bombed because no one likes it 
or you have it public and everybody can see that everybody is disliking it and they find it embarrassing. And so YouTube bends the knee and hides the dislikes for them because then you only see the likes because then they don't need to pretend like anybody's upset with them. But welcome to YouTube. That's how a lot of decisions are unfortunately made because the company has still not turned a profitable year in its history and it's still trying to find ways to do it and it mostly does it by trying to appease to major media companies. Taking the U out of YouTube. <laughs> As for Twitch and how that's changed, uh, I guess I didn't even answer the first one very well, did I? Uh, is there anything else I can think of immediately that's massively changing YouTube? Attitudes, I guess. Communities have changed a lot. I mean, if you want to talk about the culture of YouTube changing, it's changed massively since I got started. Back in the day, people took things a lot less seriously. Um, there's jokes you could tell in 2016 that you can't tell now. And I don't mean anything in terms of, like, I don't know, hot button, button subjects that weren't hot button subjects so much in 2014 or 2013 or whatever. Gender stuff was, wasn't as much of a topic back then. I understand why people are, are more sensitive about that now, because it's talked about a lot more, whatever. I mean a, a general... People kind of had more of an idea uh, at the time of... If it's on the internet, you don't take it too seriously. You're considered the weird one if you get upset when people are just being dumb and saying dumb things they don't really mean on the internet. It's what shitposting originally meant. Is you're just saying dumb things that you don't mean to get a rise out of your friends or whatever, or you're just having a fun time on the internet. There's a lot of stuff like that now even where joking around with your friends in a call would definitely get you in trouble. And so the attitude of the website has definitely changed in terms of just a general, people are more likely to take you seriously when you're saying something that should be very obviously facetious. I think the same thing is true on Twitch too, but less so in the audience and more so in the staff. The staff of Twitch are very, very likely to crack down on people very unevenly based entirely on what they think will make them look good or bad to not to act or not act on, which is very frustrating to deal with. Um, Here's a great example of that, by the way. Now, I'm a Twitch partner. I'm supposed to have priority speaking with... Uh, priority communication with Twitch staff. It's garbage, by the way. It's total trash. I, I And I don't mind trash-talking Twitch, even though I'm a partner of them. They can revoke my Twitch partnership. I don't give a shit. I get more views on YouTube anyway. You can kick me off if you want to. Hi. Uh, anyway, Twitch is... I, I once asked twitch directly in support privately so that they didn't even have to answer publicly i said to them that uh i heard someone got banned for using a uh a swear and but i've heard this swear on the website tons and so i was wondering like is is the can i have the banned word list so i know like what is and is not actually allowed now the reason i was asking this is because i got the feeling that there was a bit of a double standard going on here i saw somebody get banned for saying the word cunt now they said this just joking around with their friends they got banned but i have heard uh, quite a few irishmen and scotsmen uh using that willy-nilly and there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with that because it is simply a less harsh word in certain parts of the world and not everywhere is california twitch uh that is a more popular word here in, in canada as well just because of the english expat uh, population of ontario 
Um, I don't use it just because it's not part of my vernacular. However, I was asking because I was curious, genuinely, what's the band word list? Their response was that there isn't a band word list and that they play it by ear each time. Now that sounds like an obvious problem of, okay, that guarantees that whether you get punished or not depends on the moderator you get, not on the actual rules. That's scary. So I just, I just very politely replied and I said, like, I'm, I'm just a little worried. This could be used a little bit unevenly. Like, and I gave them the specific example and I said, like, one person's been banned for this. All many, many other people haven't. I'm not asking you to try to unban them. It's none of my business. I'm just asking, like, what is the process in the future for if this were to happen with someone? Never got a reply. Awesome. Thanks, Twitch. Great job, everybody. <laughs> Beer is all around. Yeah, in, from some to uh, seven Americans, that is that is quite a harsh term over, over here in the UK in various, like, um, it's... It is obviously used in that in that way sometimes, but in a lot of cases, it's it's very just among mates kind of things. So yeah, of course. And and look, even if it's even if they want to look at that as a really rude word, isn't "fuck" a really rude word? We're just desensitized to it. Like it's surely that is you can't say that on TV either. Like why is that any worse to say, especially when it's in a context that's not directed at anybody? I mean, context is becoming less and less important nowadays. It's just... It's concerning, isn't mm, it? Very much so. I had somebody uh, try to rally a campaign to cancel me on the internet once because I shouted out somebody uh, a year before anything came out about them having done something bad. And basically all I could say to them was like, hey, look at the date of the video. Look at the date of the accusations. You just tried to you tried to come from my head and tried to take my job over that. Now I was lucky the person saw my reply pretty quickly and deleted their tweet because they were actually big enough to get a little bit of traction. But there are some absolute cretins out there who will genuinely come for somebody's job and somebody's livelihood when they haven't researched the situation at all. I don't think you should go after anybody's job, honestly. I think it's an incredibly shitty tactic just because you don't like somebody to try and take away, um, what's it called? Taking away their rice bowl. You're trying to take away their ability to feed themselves so that they can't talk anymore. You don't like whatever they're saying. Well, if they can't provide for themselves anymore, they'll shut the fuck up. I think it's a horrible thing to do to somebody. And the fact that somebody came after me for that when it's something that I couldn't have possibly known because I'm not a time traveler... That's an awful thing to do to somebody, because even if I were truly some kind of asshole who fully supports some kind of awful person, then um, why do you need to punish my wife and my mom and my sister who I try to support? Like, what'd they do? But, you know, it makes them feel good on Twitter to go try and take someone down, so it's all about their feelings, I guess. I was gonna say, it's a very weird thing, because it is, it, it's been seen, unfortunately, numerous times with uh, content creators, and it's I don't, it's something about the visibility, I guess, that that person feels special themselves because they're doing that. I don't know. It's it's very um, yeah. They get a rush getting the attention for it, yeah. but it it really is just feeling good and justified in tackling someone. Don't encourage yourself to do that. If you keep coming after people and feeling good about it, you're just going to get addicted to that. It's like um with hate watchers, you know? Some people have hate watchers. I've never understood it, but I've always had some. And I always try to remind them, 
just stop watching the show and go watch something that you enjoy. Because when you when you watch something that stresses you out and makes you angry, you release cortisol. Now, cortisol makes you feel like garbage, but it's a chemical reaction that you get, and you can get addicted to it. Because if you keep watching stuff you hate and keep going into conversations you hate and keep torturing yourself like that, you're going to keep producing cortisol and you're going to have it every day and your body's going to become dependent on it. And then you feel the need to binge watch things you hate. And it makes you a miserable person. Don't do that. They don't think about these consequences when they do these things because they don't think about it as a chemical reaction, but it is. Don't hate watch. If you don't like something, just move on. Don't go after all these people that you feel justified in going after online because you're practicing bad behaviors. You're practicing feeling rewarded out of bringing other people down. Just work on yourself, just work on making you and your life as good and as wholesome as you can, and you'll make other people happy through that. Going into more positive uh, side, <laughs> uh, what is the appeal of streaming for you? I get to hang out with a bunch of people and it's fun. We all just hang out and play video games and all talk in the chat and stuff. That's pretty much just what it's always been is it's a super casual version of Let's Play where I get to chat with a bunch of people live. It's always been that, you know. Um, back when I started streaming, I probably drew like 10, 15 viewers. And I think I just always did just because like I had enough uh, traction on YouTube that I could get a little bit of like some people to bleed over and always watch. I had just enough hardcores that I could have at least people talking in the chat. Obviously the number went up as I hit different milestones and everything, but it's always more or less just been the same appeal for me is I just really like talking with the chat and I feel like they get to be part of the show because I get to put the chat on screen for the YouTube recording and they're making jokes and I get to say the jokes and we all laugh about it and stuff and they get to help me play the game. You know, if I'm playing like Crusader Kings 3, then they can remind me of all the different things we're trying to juggle or they can give advice or whatever, or we can pause the game and all have like a big council sesh, like me and the 200 people in the chat. Let's all figure this out. What's our next move, our next course of action, this war, you know? We all start pitching ideas. I don't know, it's all the communal stuff. It's just hanging out with people is fun, even if I don't always hear their voices. Before I go into some quick questions, I've just got one final thing, which may or may not be a thing, but I've seen a couple of times in uh, older videos, try um, saying it might not be a thing now, but goal setting. I saw a video where, I believe I have this correct, but uh, correct me if I am uh, wrong, but you wanted by the time you turned 26 to have over 100,000 subscribers. And was interested if that's the thing you done, you do yearly or still do to this day or had done prior. If that's goal setting is a thing. You... I so for there was a couple of years where I started doing that. I think I started doing it. Um, probably the first one I said was like what for when I was turning twenty six or twenty seven. I think the one hundred thousand subscriber one was when was my goal for twenty seven because I remember reaching that like right before the explosion of the Pokemon challenges happened like a couple months before I was gonna hit. 27 years old so i looked like i wasn't going to be anywhere near 10,000 subscribers and boom i hit it i hit all the goals that year actually goal setting was something i started in 2016 and it did well for me where i just set like three or so overarching goals and the idea is i don't literally need to hit the goal but progressing towards that goal all it'll be better than not 
and it has paid off really well. I kept doing the goal setting of like, there's like a fitness goal, there's a streaming goal, and there's a YouTube goal. And that's like generally what I did, but I added some more here or there. Um, I had some goals for before I was 29. I don't even remember what they are right now, if they're on my head, honestly, because I ended up be becoming so unbelievably busy in the last year, like just over COVID, that I had to put the goals aside because I was so busy just trying to keep up with uh, personal life and YouTube, and just like a million other things. Uh, so although I generally recommend long-term goal setting that you don't hold yourself to so hard that it stresses you out, just as like general goals to aim towards that you can feel good about when you hit and then you can, you know, plant your next marker. Like you're planting flags and waypoints along the way on a journey. Although I do recommend it, don't stress yourself out if you don't meet certain ones, because the last thing you want to do is beat yourself up over a perceived failure. Beating yourself up over a perceived failure does not help you in any way, shape, or form. Failure does help you. You learn from failure. Uh, the emotional side of failure, of like getting upset about it, that's the only part that actually impedes you in any way. So just don't do that part. Just look at it as a positive learning experience and bam, failing is winning. If you had... We've gone through uh, quite a lot, which could be taken as uh, advice, so don't be afraid if you think it's repeating yourself, but if you had one piece of advice for a new or uh, wanted to grow content creator, what advice would that be? If it was one piece of advice, I'd probably say the dream hobby thing, so let's just go with two pieces of advice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what would be the second piece of advice I give? Don't care about the numbers like at all uh whether it be youtube or streaming uh genuinely like don't don't care about the numbers especially in the early days at all because it will just stress you out if you did a video and it gets one view and then you did another video and it gets zero views i know it sounds silly right now to get upset about that because it's a one view difference but when you're actually doing it and you're actually in the moment that's something that people do get upset about or get concerned about because it does feel like the world of difference when it's the thing you're passionate about you remind yourself that it really is a one-person difference. It doesn't matter. The negative of that is is nothing <laughs> because you're not missing out on any benefit. But the benefit of an extra view is a lot because that means an extra whole human being enjoyed your video. That's pretty cool uh, because they've lived their own complete life just like you have. That is actually another person out there, even if you'll never meet them and you probably don't know their name and, you know... Even if you have very little in common with them, they watched your video and they probably enjoyed it. So there you go. One extra person is a lot, whereas one less person uh, doesn't mean anything because you don't have money attached to it. One day when you have money attached to it, maybe you can look at it differently and concern yourself a little bit more with the financial side of it. Uh, but never let that take over things. Never let the worrying about the numbers take over what you're doing or your decision making. Uh, at the end of the day, as long as you're very obviously having fun, the viewers will have fun. On the on the flip side, this has actually just made me think, what potentially bad recommendation or advice do you see given for content creators? <laughs> uh, oh, damn, I see plenty of bad advice. I, I didn't, I wasn't thinking about that, though, so I don't know if anything's coming to mind off the top of my head. There's people who say to, like, have, like, a super strict schedule. I think that's bad advice. Don't even consider a schedule until you've done quite a few videos and know that you like it. Like... <laughs> Don't go worrying about a schedule when you've barely done it. There's no reason for that. Some people think that having a schedule will help them grow. And honestly, as a guy who's done schedules and done not schedules, tons of examples of both over many years, 
I can tell you that honestly, it doesn't make the biggest difference in the world. Um, it's it's not worth stressing yourself out over. Like, for instance, I, I my whole video a day, 10 years thing. You're going to probably, like, if you're doing daily videos, it might happen that you miss a day or two. And you can always make up for it and do 10 videos the next week or whatever. So the average is way higher than that. But you can't beat yourself up over that one or two little goals that you missed. Because, damn, I didn't technically do every day because my computer exploded or whatever. It was out of your control. None of the viewers give a shit about that. Like, none of them are ever going to hold that against you, ever. And if some asshole comes at you and says, well, you didn't technically do it because there was that time your computer exploded or whatever, who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? You know what you accomplished. You know the work ethic you did. Like, don't let trivial little things like that bother you. And it's very easy to let trivial things bother you when you're early in YouTube and early in Twitch. One little streamer saying they didn't like this thing about your stream and you'll be stewing for a week or something. Don't let that stuff get to you. As Again, again, as long as you are having fun, that is what matters. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. As you mentioned earlier in the conversation, that even the videos that may, if, they, if they'd just been another video, you'd, you've always had fun making them. So at the end of the day, there's always going to be a net positive, even if the video itself doesn't like explode so to speak yeah i mean i'll put it this way hanging out with your friends and having a really fun time never feels like a waste of time even though you got nothing productive done at all if you're making a video and you had a fun time making the video then you had a fun time and technically you did something that you could argue was productive and you don't think that hanging out with your friends is a waste of time so if you made a video and it gets zero views but you had a fun time making it Still not a waste of time. If one game could be released tomorrow, either an announced, unannounced, or a sequel to a game you don't think will ever exist, what game would it be? If it was a few months ago, I would have said Victoria 3, but after being a meme for a decade, Victoria 3 actually got announced. I want the AEW video game to come out already, because I'm pumped for a wrestling game uh, from a major studio that is not a WWE game, because those have been really bad in recent Okay, in the last eight years. <laughs> um, those have been terrible for quite a while. Those haven't been really good since, like, PlayStation 2. Not to say there aren't good wrestling games now, but there aren't many wrestling games now. If anyone wants to go get a wrestling game, go crack out your Steam or your Switch. Go get Wrestling Empire. It's made by one dude who you might know called M. Dickey, an old prolific indie game developer. And it's the funnest. You don't even need to know how wrestling works. Doesn't matter. Fun game. I've had so many people tell me they don't know anything about wrestling, but they have purchased the game after watching me stream it. It's just a fun game. Speaking of wrestling, you described it as IRL anime at the start. Is there anime, any, uh, any, any, minute words, any anime you would recommend? <laughs> Ranma one half was awesome. I don't even know if that's how you're supposed to say it in English, to be honest. Um, when I was a kid growing up, so I have an uncle who lives in Hong Kong and he's lived there for a long time. And so when I was a kid growing up, before a lot of anime would come out in English here, uh, he would send back VHSs that he got in China of it, of like bootlegs usually. Uh, and so like I was watching Dragon Ball in uh, Japanese without subs before the English translation was on TV where I lived in Canada. All kinds of fun little things like that. So I love my Dragon Ball. I love my Ranma one half. Honestly, I don't know what else to recommend. Uh, <laughs> I know I'm not a big anime guy, um, just because I 
it's not really my art of choice. I have nothing against anime. Love a lot of them. It's wonderful. Yu Yu Hakusho is awesome. But uh, you, again, usually if I have time to sit down and really watch something, I've got some Let's Plays I watch. I've got some YouTube videos I watch. Uh, I've watched a few old shows in the past and stuff. But for the most part, I'll sit down and watch wrestling. I do that every day. I don't have a huge amount of editing experience, but I have enough to know how long it may take and with how many videos you've put out takes a lot of focus or a lot of like or focus time I should say if for moments when you're unfocused if that even happens um how do you get back on track or refocus oh it definitely happens everybody gets um mental fatigue and exhaustion it used to not bother me as much uh but i also used to be younger and you can just handle things better as i've gotten older the best ways is through fitness um i'm very pro fitness in general uh pro healthy eating in general i think everybody could be taught how to eat very healthy very very easily and enjoy it if they just knew like a few basic steps of like hey there's a free phone app called my fitness pal where you can literally scan any barcode and it will auto put in how many calories you just ate hey uh you can have a pedometer on your on your phone that's always in your pocket to know how many steps you've taken today and it can estimate calories burned hey if you get a if you get a heart rate monitor it can tell you how many calories you've burned in a day so you can literally do the math on how many calories have you taken in how many have you burned and how much fat will you lose as a result you can just science that shit you can just do the math at home all you need is like a five dollar food scale and a phone um and you can you can do your ten thousand steps a day at home i know i've been doing it for two years during uh during covid <laughs> Just walking around in circles in my house to get my steps because, hey, you gotta, gotta get burn those calories somehow. Doing things like that, taking 15-minute breaks to stand up and to do yoga routines to stretch or to walk around, does an enormous amount to help you. This is once again a thing you can learn on CGP Grey's channel over on YouTube, but when, you're ex when you are mentally exhausted, you prime with physical energy. When you're mentally exhausted, you're going to feel lazy, you're going to be sitting on the couch, and you're going to feel physically exhausted as well. You can mentally jog your energy again and get things going, but that's very difficult. What's easier is to get your ass off the couch, get moving, get your heart rate up, and that will naturally not only give you more physical energy, but more mental energy as well. You'll feel clearer after the walk and the fresh air if you can get it, and getting your heart rate up a bit. And the older you get, the more you are going to vitally need that, or else your body is just going to fall apart on you doing this job. So do yoga. There's YouTube tutorials. You literally don't need any equipment. You have a floor. Just do it. Floor mat YouTube. There you go. Yeah, you can get a mat. If you have a carpeted floor, that's fine too. The final question is, what's in the future plans of the dry bread? Uh, I've been toying with the idea of going down to two challenges a month. I haven't announced that yet, uh, but I don't know if I'm even going to do that yet, to be honest. The week that we're recording this is the day before I'm going to stream my first stream of Brilliant Diamond, uh, because the Gen 4 remakes have just come out. Uh, I don't really know much about the remake yet. Uh, I've heard some people say it totally sucks, and I've heard some people say it's awesome, which basically just means, hi, it's a Pokemon game. <laughs> um, and so I don't really know what to expect, but I think I'm going to just have a fun, casual time streaming it anyway. Um, who knows? Maybe the YouTube uploads of it will do really well, and it'll make some decent money. And if that happens, then maybe I could do one less challenge a month, make up for with extra Let's Play stuff, and then I would have more time to do the mountain of let's play stuff and fun side videos i want to do again because 
I barely had a chance to go do random side fun videos. And I've been working on this Kenshi video for like six months that I want to do. That's going to be so much fun and make me $2 and I don't care. Uh, because if anybody knows the YouTuber uh, Ambiguous Amphibian, one of my absolute favorite YouTube friends, uh, he is a delightful human being. I love him to death. We did some Project Zomboid stuff together a few years ago before either of us blew up, I think. Um, he's doing awesome now because his videos are just the most interesting little deep dives into a game with all this interesting narrative and editing. And every time I watch that, I'm like, damn, he takes like those fun Hearts of Iron 4 editing together a whole playthrough into a fun 15 minutes of the wackiest moments. And he does it as like an interesting narrative through a challenge run of like Project Zomboid or something, or just any random game making a narrative of it and making it really fun. And I look at that and I think, damn, that looks fun. I got to give that a try. So he told me I damn well better give that a try. So I'm going to. And that Kenshi video I've been working on off and on for six goddamn months that'll come out in five years and it's gonna be the best kenshi video you ever didn't watch and if people wanted to check you out where would they be looking oh uh if you search um my dry bread on anything you'll find all of my things however probably a link in the description of this video right now that you could go click on that will take you to my youtube channel and if you click on any one of my youtube videos you can go to the description and it will have the updated links to all of my things, whether that be Instagram, which are just pictures of my cats, or Twitter, which is me complaining about customer service, and uh, my Twitch, where I stream things when I feel like it. That's that's probably all of the things you could possibly be interested in. Just search Madrybred Nancy <laughs> Drew into YouTube, and you'll find all of my stuff. Yeah, I, that was on the notes actually just prior to starting your Twitter. I think it's. Madrai needs to stream more or something at the current moments. <laughs> yeah, I changed that a lot. I changed my my Twitter name all the time. I think before this it was uh it was uh Madrai Bread is going to play more Mario Party trademarked. <laughs> uh for a long time it was uh Madrai Bread, the world's number one Nancy Drew Let's player. Uh Madrai Bread is neutral good, Madrai Bread half cream, no sugar, please dumb shit whatever dumb joke came up to me that i came up with at 11 at night in bed <laughs> uh madry i really appreciate the time and the conversation i've enjoyed it a lot i hope you have enjoyed it as well thanks I i've had a really fun time thanks for having me on no worries at all and i hope everyone listening has enjoyed as well and hope everyone has an amazing remainder of their day and we'll catch you in the next episode until next time have a nice day if you enjoyed that one to hear more conversations with amazing guests, be sure to head over to youtube.com slash wave Loki, Loki spelt with C, or wave Loki.com slash no hit podcast.